I want to invite you to take your Bibles and open them to uh, to the book of First Thessalonians, and um, we are uh, <clears throat> we're going to see if we finish chapter two today. We may, we may not. Both are okay, right? So it's, we're going to be good with that. I had a, a professor uh, in college <clears throat> challenge me in a few ways. Um, you know, he he would communicate this idea of repetition being purposeful uh, to help us in learning, right? Um, but but he said, you know, uh, he challenged us on our prayer, and uh, and and so part of what he did is he challenged us to think about how we pray, and he said, how often do you use the Lord's name in your prayer? As a comma. And I was kind of like, what are you talking about? You know, sometimes we pray in Lord and uh, Lord, just thank you for the weather today, Lord God. And we just love you, God. And we love you, God. Now, if you pray that way, th- th- please don't take this as like an all, all, all out frontal assault on you. OK, I get it. It's all right. But he did challenge us to say repetition is important, but purposeful repetition is is more important. And so he would structure his lessons in a way. He would say, you know, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you today. And then I'm going to tell it to you. And then I'm going to tell you why I told you. And then I'm going to tell you what I told you. And that was kind of his his pattern for how he would teach. Pretty effective pattern. Pretty helpful pattern. Uh, you know, the Apostle Paul is a little bit like that in the way that he speaks. <clears throat> Uh, as our communications assistant, one of uh, my wife Sherilyn's uh, jobs is often to take something that I've written and figure out how to make it fit on any number of things, right? And so she goes to town and she gives it back to me and I'm like, oh, but you're missing that. And she's like, yes, see this? And you have this and it's just, it's just not going to fit. And so we've learned by God's grace, um, I have learned maybe a better way of saying this. How to just step out of the way. She knows my heart. More importantly, she knows the heart of the father for what we're trying to communicate. And so I'll give her the big idea of what we're wanting to communicate. And she does a masterful job uh, putting things together in a whole lot of different ways with a whole lot fewer words. I know, I know some of you are like, well, why didn't she just get up there and preach? And we could go home. We could have lunch a lot sooner. Well, there's reasons for that, but... Um, you know, at any rate, the, the Apostle Paul, I'm comforted by the fact that the Apostle Paul, I mean, he was kind of a wordy guy, right? Uh, I think Paul had a little ADD going on. You know, he start writing about something and he's writing this letter. He thinks about something. So he just delves into that thought. And then he, you know, just put a, a, an M dash or a colon and then you're good to just go back to where you were and then continue laying it out like that. He, he's repetitious, and he goes off on these trails, and that's okay. You see a lot of repetition in First Thessalonians uh, 1 and First Thessalonians 2. About halfway through chapter 3, there's a lot of repetition. So if you think, well, Pastor Matt, Paul wrote a letter, they stood up and they read it, and then they probably put it away. Well, somebody didn't put it away because we still have it. And so if you think, you know, well, this message sounds a lot like last week's message, you're right. It will be slightly different, but it will sound somewhat the same. We were doing a leader training this morning, and one thing I said, it's not original with me, but I said, you know, as a church, 
the American church, but also Oak Grove Church. We are often educated beyond our obedience. Now, there's some level where our, our education or what we know to be true about God and his word and how to live, it needs to be a little bit ahead of, of our obedience in some sense, right? And so we're not going to try to figure out what that perfect ratio is. But this, the idea is that uh, we need repetition to help us learn the truths that God wants us to hear, apply to our hearts, understand and obey and grow in. Right. And so that's OK. We're talking about the idea of of what it means to be wholehearted followers of Christ. Right. He, he wants to equip this new church. It's a new church starting and there's persecution happening. And and these new believers are learning a lot of doctrinal truth early on. Right. So so we ought to do away with the idea that people need to be believers for a long time before they can handle deep spiritual truth. I think the same is true of student ministry, for that matter, while we're here. Students, you guys take some difficult subjects in school. Your brains are taxed at school. You learn a lot of things. And, and God, who has given us his perfect word, written to be known and loved and understood, has said that you can understand deep truths about who he is too. And you can apply challenging things. Middle schoolers, high schoolers, kids younger than that. You can apply difficult, challenging things. He, he wants to hold up his life, both as a defense to, to say, I, I'm not here with ill motives, but also at the same time, it's, it's a way in their culture of saying, but this is how I've lived for you or for the Lord before you. See it, pay attention to it, and imitate my faith. Right? We've got these uh, shirts, wholehearted followers of Christ, and on the back of them, they say, follow me. As I follow Christ, really, that's all we're about. We don't try to come up with anything new. We're not trying to be real super creative on a whole bunch of things. Every Christian is to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. For someone to say, I asked you two questions last week. Are you a follower of Jesus? Why or why not? Secondly, are you actively engaged in some kind of discipling ministry? Right? Really, we ought to be in the middle of that. We've got someone pouring into us. And we're pouring into someone else. And if you get tired of hearing that message, I don't know what to tell you because it's going to keep on keeping on. Because that's the message of the scriptures. We're to grow in this way. But we don't want to just like berate you with the truth about it. We, we're called to equip the saints for the working of the ministry. So we want to help you grow in it. So if anyone ever comes to me and say, I'd like to learn how to do X, Y, and Z. I mean, sometimes I'm the best one to help teach somebody some of that. Most of the times there are other people who are as well equipped or better equipped or more faithful in it than I am. And I'm happy to pass them on to the person who is best equipped to help you grow in a particular ministry that God has called you to. Why? Because we're all wanting to be good stewards of what God has given us. Or as disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, we should all want to be good stewards of what God has gifted us with and how he's called us to use our gifts. So read with me in First Thessalonians. We'll look at uh, 2. We'll start in verse 9 and we'll read through verse 16. Paul says, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses and God also how 
holy and how righteous, blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Jesus Christ that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did for Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus Christ and the prophets and drove us out. And they displease God and they oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. Father, help us as we look at your word. I need your help in communicating your word in ways that are true and passionate and helpful. Help us to receive it and, and understand with open hearts and full hearts. Not, not just understanding the words on the page, but that we might uh, have, have spiritual eyes to see and spiritual ears to hear, spiritual hearts to, to believe with faith, loving you for who you are and loving your word because of how you've given it to us and what you have given to us in your word. May our, our obedience, may our, our discipling, discipling efforts flow out of love for you because of all you've done for us and because of who you are. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So last week, uh, the main idea was join us in cultivating a discipling community that pleases and glorifies God. Join us. Well, that's not my gift. Well, it's every Christian's call in some way. So our charge to you, God's charge to you, through me, through the elders, is to join us in cultivating a discipling, remember it's a verb, a discipling community that pleases and glorifies God. This morning's main idea is a little bit longer because it's a part two, so we're kind of hanging on to that main idea from last week, all right? So we're going to put this on the screen. I don't have lots of notes that are going to be on the screen today, and we're going to work. Walk, we're going to walk through this sort of point by point. So if you guys can throw that up, but here's the main idea. We'll repeat it throughout the morning. A discipling culture that pleases God is, and here are a few points to hang on to. It's proclaimed and sustained with gospel labor. A discipling culture that pleases God is both proclaimed and sustained with gospel labor through godly people with gospel-focused integrity who walk or who live in a manner worthy of God with persevering, with perseverance. I'm going to say it again. A discipling culture that pleases God is both proclaimed and sustained with gospel labor. You might say kingdom-focused labor through people of godly, 
gospel-focused integrity. Who walk in a manner worthy of God with perseverance. Proclaimed and sustained with gospel labor. So what we see is Paul as an apostle is communicating how he ministered. And so part of that was he's saying, I I labored among you. I toiled among you. Remember not too long ago, we saw in in chapter one, verse two, where he was saying, I am so thankful for your labor of love and your, your work of faith. It's the same idea. He modeled it for him. And then he had to leave and he saw that they were walking it out. And now he calls them back to living the same kind of life that he modeled for them. He, he keeps emphasizing the gospel. If you look probably eight or ten times in these first few chapters where he just emphasizes the gospel over and over again. The gospel is the foundation for everything that we do. Now that, you know, you're good church people and Christians and you love Jesus. And so that sounds like, well, yeah, but why are you camping on that so much? Well, because we need to. We need to camp on it. If a person's life is built on a faulty, faulty gospel, then everything is going to be off the mark from there. You know, you've heard the illustration that if you just slightly change the trajectory of anything that you're shooting, what it's going to be when it's miles out. Or if you change the directory of a rocket ship that you send out in space miles out, it's going to be totally off, way off. And that's true if our understanding of the gospel is not clear. If our understanding of the gospel is that that God is good and that God is holy and that he's kind and because he's really loving, he lets everyone who tries really hard to be good and to be kind to others and to tell other people about him into heaven because he's kind. That's a false gospel. It's untrue. And people who are genuine, who believe that message, will spend an eternity separated from the act of love of God and in the presence of God's active, eternal judgment. Right? There's not this sort of, we're just separated from God and we don't get to enjoy the benefits of God and we just go out into an eternity missing God. No. God's wrath is poured out on sinners who refuse to repent and turn to him for salvation. Friends, if we're trying to if we're trying to shave the edges off of the gospel message as we talk with people. If I as a pastor try to communicate to you that as long as we spend a lot of time together in this room together and we smile at each other and we nod to each other and we encourage each other and we help each other then our eternity is going to be great. I'm accountable for every one of your souls at some level. I have to give an account before God. The elders have to give an account before God for how we, we sought to help you understand the gospel, knowing I can't make anyone believe. And so we beg God, God come. Have your way. Move, convict, encourage, challenge people to follow you. To proclaim this gospel message is like to announce it like a herald, right? 
It, when, it, when a kid accomplishes something and they so much want everyone to see what it was, they, they herald the news. They don't walk around saying, Mom, let me herald my news to you. Look what I did. They just come around the corner with something that they made and they're like, Dad, look! As Christians, we go around and we live in such a way that people say, What's your deal? And we get to say, Look, let me tell you about my Jesus. Let me tell you about what he's done for me. Let me tell you about how he saved me. Not, let me tell you about how I, I, one day I made a decision to adjust my life. And I, man, I've lived such a better life since that day. No, you know what we say? I was broken. I was empty. I was evil. And God rented the heavens, rent the heavens, whatever that tense is, reached into me made my heart alive and transferred me from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. And I'm new. I want new things. I live for new desires. I go after different goals. I hang out with new people. I'm not living for this time on earth. I'm living now to live for eternity. That's a gospel that'll turn heads. That's a gospel that people will either embrace and want to know more about, or they will come after you. They will come after us like they came after Paul, like they are coming after missionaries even today as we speak around the globe. It's got to start with the good news of who God is. Then it moves to the bad news of who we are. Then it moves to the good news of what God has done for us. Friend, if you have to talk someone into it, that's different than uh, uh, seeking to explain it in a way that's clear and helpful and understandable for them. That's not the same thing. You just so badly want them to be saved. Parents, you have to be cautious of this. You have to be cautious of this as parents. Why? Well, sometimes, sometimes parents want to put their sort of confidence in their kid's salvation in the fact that they prayed the prayer or they got baptized. Now we're a church that practices believers' baptism, and so we want people to make a profession of faith and then and then express that through believers' baptism. But I will tell you, very often I will slow people down in the process. Why? Because I want to make sure they don't have to understand the whole Bible, but you know, they need to know the gospel. They need to understand what they're saying they're committing to. So the gospel is proclaimed in that way, but it also must be sustained in the same kind of way. He says, you remember, brothers, our labor and our toil. Remember just last week he talked about he talked about we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves because you become very dear to us. And then he calls them brothers several times. And in this passage, we're going to see here in a minute that he says that uh, he's like a father to them. You hear the different ways he relates in relationship to the people that he cares so much for, but it's all flowing out of gospel living, living because the good news of God has raptured our hearts, captivated our lives and motivates everything that we do. As an employee, you want to you work with integrity. Why? So that the people see that, that, that while people all around you are not working with integrity, not everybody, obviously, 
but you're working with integrity, not for the raise, not for the promotion, not to climb the ladder, but because it flows out of your love for Jesus. Gospel living is not always connected to what we do here in this building. In fact, most of the time it's not. And we increasingly want to learn to come together in small pockets of, of community where we learn this together, we help each other grow in this, and then we encourage each other as we go out to live and proclaim and sustain the gospel, helping, uh, creating a culture of discipling relationships where we're encouraging people to live in this way increasingly. Your priorities change. He talks about gospel-focused integrity. You know, when you think about people who receive a message and then other people catching that vision for wanting to be able to share it, I'll never forget the first time I had the privilege of leading someone to Christ. I'll also never forget the first time one of my best friends was, I thought, ready to receive Christ. I mean, like we were on the floor in Maryland, on our knees, heads bowed. I mean, like we had like assumed the position and we were ready to pray. And he goes, you've heard me share this story. I, I, got, I got one more question. And I was like, Lord, no. If I, if, if I just wanted him to pray the, pray, pray the prayer, I'd have said, well, wait like five minutes and then ask me. Let's seal the deal. It's not mine to seal. It's the Lord's. I said, what's that question? And he asked me this question. And because of, I was going to say because of my answer to the question, but because of God's truth and the answer that I gave him, to my knowledge to this day, he hasn't trusted Christ. God's doing the work, friends. We want to be faithful in our part of it. You know, I love the, 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 the time when... Well, I don't love the time when election seasons come around. Uh, but I, there are some things about it that are funny. So I just have to tell you, see me fumbling through my Bible here. I, I usually have these things all ready to go so I can turn right to the page and I moved it this morning. And uh, election season comes up and we all know it's like way too long. Don't worry, I'm not going to get into all politics stuff this morning. But what happens? All of a sudden, kindergartners, I mean, they know more about the, I mean, not theology, they know more about, well, that too. They know more about politics and the person that their parents support and the person their parents hate and all the reasons why or two of them, and they can repeat them ad hominem, right? They can just rattle it, rattle it off. Why? They've been discipled in their homes about who they're supposed to vote for, who they're supposed to love, and who they're supposed to hate, and maybe a little bit of why. And they're confident in it. If only, parents, if only we would capture the passion behind what we want to communicate about politics or what we want to communicate about how we live other areas of our lives with the same passion that we want to communicate why we must surrender and turn to Jesus. Every moment of every day and working to help each other walk on the narrow path that's ultimately empowered by the Holy Spirit, our church would be a different place. If we're concerned about going to church, if we're concerned about, you know, we want to we want to do something. We want to give a little, but not not our first fruits. No, that's a lot. That's a lot. Imagine all things we can't do if we 
give out of our first fruit? Imagine all the things we can't do if we serve people in this way or that way. Sometimes, you know, it's professors, pastors, our professors, teachers say this a lot when you go to Bible college or seminary, you know, they say something to the effect of, you know. So you say you don't want to be a theologian. Or I'll say to people, we say around here, you know, you say you don't want to be a counselor. Well, I hate to break it to you, but you're already a counselor. Because every day you give counsel to people. Every day people ask you your opinion on things and you're happy to give it to them. You're already a theologian. You're already a theologian. When someone comes to you with pain, with a struggle, with a challenge, you give them your perspective on what's going to help them. The question is, are you a, a good counselor or a bad counselor? Are you a good theologian or a bad theologian? Are you a, a good discipler or a bad discipler? Because you're discipling. Parents, your family rhythm, disciples. What you talk about at the table, disciples. What you watch on TV, disciples. What you gossip about, disciples. How can we help one another cultivate a culture of discipling that flows from this gospel love and is, is, is motivated and empowered by gospel integrity? Story goes of a, of a pastor who was talking to some friends and they were talking about Bible translations. And, you know, sometimes pastors love to talk about a whole bunch of things that they spend way too much time talking about and need to be getting out doing some other things. But that's beside the point. And so the first pastor says, you know, I love the King James Version and I just love how poetic the, the old English sounds. And he goes on talking about it. And the next pastor says, I love the New American Standard Bible, updated edition 1995, now the Legacy Standard Bible. But I love this because it's the closest to the original Greek and Hebrew and it helps me know and understand God more. Third pastor says, you know, I really like, you guys are like, what's he going to pick next? I really like the New Living Translation because it's, it's spoken in just a way that I just I read it, I hear it, and I just am able to get it. I'm just able to understand it uh, a little bit more clearly. And then they get around to the fourth guy, and he just kind of stops and he thinks. He said, you know, they're kind of like leaning in like, What's it going to be? So I think I really like the translation of my dad. I like watching how my dad read his Bible and loved Jesus and helped me understand the Bible in bits and pieces. And I think I like my dad's translation. Now, I know you can go all the wrong ways with that, but what would that be if somebody in your community group said, I think I like the translation of my community group leader. I think I like the translation of my elder, my deacon, my Sunday school teacher. Because I, I saw them know and love the Bible and I saw them live it out. I saw them communicate it to people in helpful, helpful ways. Not just the truth of it, but I, I watched them reorder their lives to help people. I saw them live with integrity. I saw them live with passion and purpose and conviction. I think I like their translation. 
He speaks about gospel-focused, godly integrity. He says, I, I came among you and I, I was so passionately motivated for the gospel. I didn't want to be a burden to you. I didn't even take any money from you. He was an apostle, church planner, and he could. He made tents so that he could minister in ways that weren't a burden to the church. Now, that doesn't mean this is not just uh, self-protection here or self-promotion here, but right? The Bible says a a worker is worthy of his wages, and those who preach and teach the word are worthy of of double honor. So it's not a principle that says, ah, pastor shouldn't work for any money. No, that would be to misunderstand what Paul's saying. But here's what he is saying. If you have any pastor, if you have anybody who who spends their day or their time working to understand the word, but does a a shoddy job of it, who is ill-motivated because he's lazy and he doesn't want to work, that's not working with integrity. If you want to lead a ministry because you want the title of being a leader of something, that's not leading with integrity. You like it when people come to you with their questions because you do like to help people, but you're not doing the work in the background to really know and understand the issues. You're not ministering with integrity. You like to serve in the nursery because you get out of here in the sermons and you love little kids. You're not serving with integrity. He says, I came to you. My motives were right. My heart's pure. I want so much for you to know and to understand the gospel of God. I want to live in a way with gospel integrity. It also it also involves personal fatherly exhortation. Look at verses 11 and 12. He says, for, you know, how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of the, of God who calls you into his own kingdom in, in glory. In other words, I love you with a maternal affection. I don't just want to, I don't just want to dispense truth. I want to minister the word because you've become dear to me, he says. We want to share the gospel, but my own life with you. And here he says, you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted you. Exhort is to to challenge someone toward a particular end. It can be a strong challenge. Parents, you exhort your children all the time. I said, go clean your room. That's an exhortation. An admonishment might follow if they disobey. He says, I exhorted you and encouraged you. Sometimes sometimes people need the encouragement. They've got the right knowledge. They've got the right heart. They want to do the right thing. But sometimes they're they're weighed down by their own failure to to do things well, to to succeed at the ministries they think they're doing. They don't need to be exhorted or, or, or charged or corrected. They need to be encouraged. They need to be encouraged with truth. Not patronized. Not flattered. Flattery is lying and evil. But truthful encouragement. 
speaking truth with grace. In other words, here are the things you're doing well. I remember when you when you used to be back here and and you weren't even willing to step into this position. And now you are. Look, look how God has grown you. Look how God has deepened your faith. So keep on. Let me help you with some areas where you can you can be uh, strengthened, where you can sharpen your skills, because I'm not here to just pat you on the hand. I'm here to encourage you. You keep on keeping on. You keep ministering when the very people that you're ministering to are, are spitting at you because they're angry at you. you. You keep ministering the word when your family walks away from you because the gospel that we preach makes people enemies. Not because of how we preach it, because of the message that's contained within it. You keep on keeping on. Look to Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. And now he's seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. You too, child of God. You too, young man. You too, older saint will be one day worshiping in God's glory. Keep on. Be encouraged. Cling to the faith. Spend your life for the gospel. Go to heaven tired with your boots on. And some need, which is really the strongest, some need to be charged. Some need to be implored. Some need to be admonished or rebuked even. Well, that's the word of a father at times, sometimes to exhort, sometimes to encourage, sometimes to charge or to implore. Sometimes a stern word is necessary. Sometimes a stern word is necessary. Well, I'm leaving this church because they told me some things that I didn't want to hear. And you just leave the next one. You'll just leave the next one. And you'll just leave the next one. I know we're all hearing that beeping and I think everything is okay. We good, Carol? Yeah, good. Amen. If you're ministering in such a way that you, you, you want to be comforted by people patting you on the back and telling you what a wonderful job you're doing in your ministry, I mean, if that's what you worship, if that's what what you're, you know, I addressed a, a minute ago talking about our motives and our our, uh, our integrity, well, then you, you actually won't be willing to do the things that God says that in Christian leadership we've got to do. And by the way, when I say Christian leadership, I don't mean when you're a pastor or an elder. I mean, when you're a lay leader in a church, at times we have to charge people, admonish people in love, with grace, but make no bones about it. There's a time for a charge, an admonition, a rebuke, right? We all pray we've checked our own hearts in the process. We pray that we've gotten the log out of our own eyes so that we might see clearly to help another get the stick out of their own eye. Ephesians 4.1 says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. This is the highest call of living. Live this way. Walk in this manner that's worthy of Jesus. Now, some of you with real 
sensitive consciences would say, I'm not worthy of Jesus. No, but he's made you worthy. So therefore you are. You live in the truth of the positional reality. You are holy. When you repented of your sins and you trusted Christ, you were justified. You were made right with God in a moment. And now for the rest of your life, you are being progressively sanctified as you grow. And if you can, as you continually put off the old flesh and as you're transformed by the renewing of your mind, heart change is happening and you're now putting on the new self. Being made more and more into his image. Philippians 1.27, the Apostle Paul says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Church, when we say join us in cultivating a, a, a discipling community that pleases and glorifies God, we're saying, come on, let's link arms. Let's, let's join up and let's, let's strive side by side, one mind, one heart for the unity of the spirit to build God's church. We must We must. It must happen through through multiplication, not simply through addition. We just try to get new people in who come and act like us. The church will die. But if we multiply and we teach others how to multiply and they teach others how to multiply. The church will live on. We know that the gates of hell will not prevail against Christ's church. Amen. That's what I heard. What? 15 more minutes? I'm telling you. Keep, keep on, bring them. Every week. <laughs> Colossians 1.10. This is a, a repetitious message of the apostle. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. It means that that God who calls you to salvation, it takes an effect on you and it changes the trajectory of your life, the, the, the daily living. If you're tired of hearing the same messages over and over from different texts, I want you to notice it's not just the preacher saying the same thing over and over again, but God gave it to us. And if you're getting tired of it, but you're not applying it to your own life, the issue's with you, not with the Bible. The issue's with you, not with the preacher. The issue's with you, not with God. But you will have an issue with God. If you don't hear it, say, I want to get engaged. I'm going to take somebody under my wing. Or I'm going to get engaged. I need to go get on somebody else's wing so that I can learn how to take somebody under my wing. When we're repeatedly saying that we want to Encourage your engagement in cultivating a culture of discipling ministry that pleases and glorifies God. Proclaimed and sustained by the same message that the apostles have preached. By, by godly people driven from godly motives who are striving to live a life worthy of the gospel. Oh, imperfectly. If you just knew my week. My morning. Lift your eyes. Look to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. And in believing faith, 
step a step forward. Say, I'm nervous about this. It's okay. That's not a sin. But to say I'm going to allow my nervousness, my comfort level to prevent me from engaging in discipling, building a discipling culture. I don't mean if you're serving elsewhere and you just can't do everything and you're feeling convicted, like I got to do everything in the church or I'm not a faithful Christian. That's not what I'm saying. But living a life in a manner worthy that helps create that kind of culture. So I would ask you, are you discipling others? Sort of similar to about halfway through when I said, you're discipling others. You're discipling well. Right? Be encouraged. I have loved over the last few years, several years, seeing many people get engaged in building discipling community. This is not anything new. We're focusing. We're in a season that's focusing, but it's not new. 